Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Wow. And if you're joining online, listening on to the podcast, it's so good to be here. And thank you, Pastor Nate. Um, Pastor Nate and I, and, and actually uh, Glenn that was just up here, we've been friends for over 26 years. Can I say, the older that you get, the more you appreciate friends. Is that true? <laughs> I'm so thankful for friends and good friends over the years. Well, I, I want to, I kind of want to start at the end for just a minute with, uh, with today's message. Uh, I don't live in Los Angeles, but I do visit there quite a bit. And it was late at night. The plane landed late at night and I have my oldest daughter with me. And we needed to catch a taxi. It was probably 12.30 a.m. Get into the taxi and the driver is, uh, he's angry. And he's, and I ended up, because of some things in the arrangement of the car, I ended up riding shotgun. So I'm in the front seat of the taxi. He's watching his video and it looks like some type of a political speech that somebody's giving. It looks, uh, looks South Asian. And all I know is this, is the driver is really, really mad. He's angry and he's angry at what he's listening to. But for some reason, it seems like he's taking it out on me. And so he's angry at me. And then every once in a while, he looks over at me and he like vents the anger on me. And I'm thinking this, this, this is supposed to be a half an hour taxi ride. So like you probably, I'm thinking, why don't we just pull this over? Let's regroup. We'll just call an Uber or let's just do something else. Cause I don't want to get yelled at for my taxi ride. And so, but then I think ah, it's 1230 AM. Uh, let's just endure this. And so, um, and so I did what probably you would do too. And that's that I just, I just like did that little prayer. And I just said my favorite prayer, which is Jesus. <laughs> it's the one word prayer. So I prayed, Jesus. <laughs> of course, you know, we do that one with different volume levels in different ways, but, uh, but prayer all the same. And, um, I did, I prayed that and, and then I just, I kind of just remembered a few things and, and in there, he actually said something. He told me he was from Bangladesh and I, I'm gonna talk about that a little bit more uh, but in a minute, but it piqued my interest and all of a sudden as we got talking a little bit more and then there was some silence and then I started asking him a question or two um, and our conversation turned, he starts to mellow out. And all of a sudden, we have a conversation. 
He starts telling me about his living situation. He starts talking to me about his son who has Down syndrome and what a hardship this is on raising someone in Los Angeles and what it's like to be an immigrant from Bangladesh. Um, And then God enters the conversation somehow. And then... Jesus enters the conversation, which we could say, isn't that the same? But let me tell you that no, when you mention the name of Jesus, that's more charged. And as it goes on and on, we get to the point of dropping off and he drops us off. It's 1 a.m. We are in an urban inner city street at 1 a.m. And something rises up in me to do something very uncharacteristic. A couple of things. I'll pray for people. But I'm actually, we're out in the street as he's getting my bags out. And I remember saying, I need to pray for you. Would it be okay if I prayed for you in Jesus' name? And he goes like this. He goes, oh yes, that would be great. And so, like I said, I'm not a loud person by nature. But I just remember saying, I just said, I bless you in Jesus' name. I mean, it was like loud, loud. And I'm thinking all the people living, they're right there. And I'm waiting for somebody to go, hey, shut up or something. But it was that moment where you don't care. Nobody else exists in the world except for this man. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless your home. I bless your son. I bless your family. I bless your job in Jesus' name. And every time he's shaking, he's like, oh, yes, God. Yes, Jesus. And I guess if I could just roll that clock back to when I got into that car and we were about ready to get out, it just expresses a few things about how a situation can turn. And we're going to talk about this just a little bit more. You've been in the book of 1 Timothy in a series, and I wanted just to pick up on a passage from 1 Timothy. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 through 5. So this is the Apostle Paul, and he says, I urge then, and I like this, first of all, or before anything else, this, petitions, prayers, intercession, which means kind of praying for others. And thanksgiving be made for whom? All people. For kings and for those in authority. That we might live quiet or peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. And let's leave this slide up for just one second. For in all godliness and holiness. Now, if you use a different translation, there's different words that it might use here for holiness. Because the word actually is, speaks to holiness or dignity. In other words, pray for kings and those in authority that we might live peaceful, quiet lives with human dignity and godliness. Isn't that an awesome prayer? And now moving on. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants, or your translation might also say, whose will it is. Is this a great, what is God's will? Well, there's a lot of things that are God's will, and some of those might be just subjective. You know, what's God's will, chiefs or eagles, or something like that? Um, I have the answer, by the way. Uh, Just kidding. (laughs) But I'm sure many of you do. Um, But what's God's will? But as Pastor Nate mentioned, something called kerygma. Remember the circles and everything, and there's that inner circle. What's really important? What's really important in your life? 
what's really important to God. What's God's will? And here he's saying, God's will is that all people are saved and come to the knowledge, a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and man. I like to say it this way on a ship. There's only one throwing out life preservers out there. There's only one life preserver out there for you to grab on. The man Christ Jesus. God's will is that everyone, all people are saved. And it brings me to this. We have a graphic that's actually out in your coffee shop also in another form. If we can just put this map up here. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a zone where a majority of what we call unreached people groups live in. Now, there's unreached people. They could live in your neighborhood. They could be any place around. But these are unreached people. And the difference is that unreached people don't have access to the gospel. There's not enough people in their culture and language group to actually tell them. So they're not necessarily resistant to the gospel because they don't even have a chance to hear the name of Jesus. And that means that somebody's going to have to go to them from outside of their group. Now, many of these nations have thriving church movements in them, but these are so populous that there are people groups within them, thousands of them, where there is an inadequate gospel representation. And so that's why you have that map actually out in your coffee shop, because it represents people that God wants to save, that God loves, that somebody needs to get this good news of Jesus to. Let's show the next one. Now, this one, it kind of shows population distribution. And what it's reflecting is uh, every dot represents, by the way, this is not a political map, red and blue. This is just people. And it really expresses that a lot of, a lot of Christ followers don't live near the unreached. Although that's changing, there are red dots now in North America because of migration. Vis-a-vis -a, -vis a Bengali taxi driver in Los Angeles who lives in a place in Los Angeles called Little Bangladesh. So there's a lot of mixing and migration because Bangladesh is one of those countries that's in that red zone. Even a little further, just to use Bangladesh as an example. You know that Bangladesh geographically is the size of the state of Iowa or, or one-third the state of Montana, geographically. And yet its population is greater than all of Russia. It's the eighth largest country in the world. And it is one of the unreached. There are so many unreached people groups in Bangladesh. So when I'm riding with this taxi driver and he says, I'm from Bangladesh, I don't think of him, oh, he's more special than if you're from some other place. But it just resonates in my mind that I'm thinking, oh, you're from a land where so many people don't even have access to Jesus. So if I was playing Scrabble, I was thinking like triple word score or something like that. I was just thinking, this is a great opportunity and... As I'll talk about later, this is just something I've found in life. When you're around unreached people and from unreached people groups, I've just found God does more miracles. If you're thinking I'd like to see more miracles, I'll just put that out there for you. I just think you see more miracles when you reach anybody who's never experienced the gospel before. But I just uh, invite you to try it out and see for yourself. 
So we have this population distribution and really what it suggests is somebody from someplace needs to go so that God's love can get to everybody. Do you know how many people in our world's population of now over 8 billion people live in unreached groups? 3 billion of the 8 billion people on this planet live in places where they don't even have a chance to hear about God's love, who we saw earlier, God's will that all people would be saved. So for me, this is like being in a stadium. Have you ever been in a stadium and you think, how does God love everybody here like that? How does God know everybody? My moment was this. My moment happened at the Disney store in, uh, in Linwood, Washington. It happened when I lost my daughter. She was about four at the time. Parents, any parents here ever lost your kids temporarily? Hopefully temporarily, okay. <laughs> so we're in the Disney store. And all of a sudden, I can't find my daughter. It's not even that big of a store. <laughs> so what kind of a parent I am. But I, I can't even find her. And so what do you, I do what you would do. I go back to the door. And, as I, and, and every, every passing second, your stomach drops further and further. You, you really do start to freak out. So I come in. And nothing and nothing and nothing. And then I hear a little crying in the Little Mermaid section. And I go over and there she is. And there's such a, just such a relief. And I don't hear God all the time, clearly. But there's a few moments in my life when I have. And this was one of them. I feel like I heard just the Spirit of the Lord inside say, what if you wouldn't have found her? And I remember just thinking, what if I wouldn't have found her right away? I just said, I'd be right to mall security and I'd say, shut down the mall, close all the doors, nobody gets out of here until we find her. Then I heard again, but what if you still wouldn't have found her? In my mind, I'm going, well, I'd be looking everywhere. I would enlist the support of everybody. I'd enlist the support of people, even if you didn't like me, I would, I would ask you to help. I would spend all of my money, all of my resources. And then I heard, when would you stop looking? Parents, if you lost your child, when would you stop looking? Never. And then finally I heard this. Now you're beginning to understand my heart for the lost. Because everybody is a child of God. God sees everyone out there and God loves everyone. That's what it's saying in the, in the scriptures. And then I started looking from then on in my life, I look at every person differently. Even people that tick me off in traffic. In those traffic circles. And I don't know about you, but anyway. Now, when I get into a crowd someplace, instead of just looking at people as maybe frustrations or different things, I look at people and I go, God loves everybody here. Every one of them. And maybe some of them are lost children that don't know anything. Maybe they've never heard the name of Jesus, but God loves every one of them. And it changes the way I live. So, what can we do? I, wanna, I just want to lay out some real, I would say some real practical things that we can do. First of all, we can pray. 
And, and I want to say it this way to those of you that are, uh, those of you joining online or you're listening or here in the room, maybe you're already saying, yeah, I do pray. Then I will say maybe if I could put the words ramp up praying, <laughs> praying alone, but also praying in groups. There's something about when we pray together that there's just, there's like more power, but there's also something special about praying alone. Praying when you drive your car with your eyes open, of course, praying as often as you can. Praying and even seeing if God would lead you by the Holy Spirit to put things in your heart. And it's great because if you're not sure, well, just pray about it. It's okay. I like prayer, but as people of action that many of us are, have you ever heard somebody say this, especially in moments of desperation? They'll say, we gotta do more than pray right now. (laughs) Have you ever heard people say that? And I always think, I totally agree with you. The only problem is, I don't know what to do unless I pray. I was just thinking back, like, imagine my, like, my high school football coach going like, we're losing, we just gotta get out there and go. So everybody get out there and run around and throw things. It just doesn't work that way. So yeah, sometimes we do need to do more than pray. But see, it's God's Holy Spirit that leads us. Imagine three seconds in God's presence with the leading and directing of the Holy Spirit or one divine appointment with an Ethiopian eunuch that we'll talk about in a little while could change the face of a nation. Your intersection with one person in your life could change everything and you can't orchestrate that. One dream or one vision, one miracle, one moment. That all happens through prayer. This is our human vulnerability in many ways because we're saying, God, we're dependent on you. Doesn't that feel good? It's our dependence and reliance on God when we pray. And it brings us back to that 1 Timothy 2 where he just says so clearly, first of all, prayers for all people and pray for your leaders. In Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter nine, I wanna show you this verse. So this is, uh, Jesus has been going through the, the countryside and as he's going through the countryside, he kind of crests the hill and sees multitudes of people. And imagine that, just... Uh, seeing this vast, vast multitude of people. And this is, this, is what, uh, this is what it happens. He sees the crowds and he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And let me also stop and remind you that Jesus, Jesus is called the good shepherd. So for a shepherd to see sheep harassed and helpless, that's gotta be utterly frustrating. And he's moved with compassion. And so he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In some ways, this is a little counterintuitive, isn't it? He sees the crowds. He says the harvest is so big and there's only a few workers 
I would think Jesus would say, so what are we doing sitting around here? Everybody get out there, come on. There's, there's not enough of us to go around. But counterintuitive, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, the harvest boss, to send out workers. What do we do when we see a big red zone map like that, that says there's 3 billion people that don't even have access to the gospel, let alone your loved ones, your neighbors, the people right in your city that you come into contact with. God loves them too. What, what can you do? And he says, before anything, you pray to the Lord of the harvest. So just imagine this picture for a second. I don't know if anybody in the room owns fields and owns uh, machinery to work the fields or that you oversee a workforce. It's possible. Um, I worked on farms in high school, so I get the concept. I think everybody does. But imagine this. You own fields that have crops in them and you have machinery that will help, but you also, Bible times, not much machinery, but you have, um, you have crops and you have workers. And he's trying to say is there's, uh, there's all these fields and there's, uh, the harvest is ready in them. You only have a few laborers and the laborers, what if all the laborers are working just a couple of the fields and you got another field over here that's ripe, it's ready, but there's nobody working it. And you're in charge. You got a lot of workers here. What are you going to do if you're in charge of this thing? You're going to say, hey, I need to move some people. But what if you're going to move people and they go, we don't want to move. We like it here. We're hanging out. This is actually enjoyable. Actually, if you read in the book of Acts chapter 6 and 7, you're going to find a situation like that where some of the early church was actually dispersed and went out to fulfill what was in Acts 1.8 where he says, you're going to actually be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Sometimes as disciples, we are dispersed. I would love it to be comfortably, but even sometimes it's uncomfortably. <laughs> Back to the Lord of the harvest. <laughs> Wouldn't it stand to reason that the Lord of the harvest, the harvest boss, if so desired, could say, I'm going to move some workers and put them into a ripe field. And so Jesus admonishes us to pray. Pray that God would send people to that. You know, there's some times when I think I have no ability to address that situation. Even watching what we saw in Turkey today, the reality is most of us are not going to go there. Most of us are not going to be long-term workers or missionaries in another country. But you know what? There are people serving there. Why don't we pray to the Lord of the harvest first that God would bring workers along? And it's true that some of us might be an answer to that prayer. But I even think that about my neighbors sometime where it's like, Lord, I'm available. I will do anything I can. But would you also bring other workers along? Maybe they need to hear it from somebody else too. Maybe they need to see the gospel lived out through somebody else. <clears throat> That's the idea of this sense of assignment from the Lord of the harvest that he puts on us as people, even on churches sometimes. <clears throat> So that was the first one is what if we just ramped up prayer like never before? That's when you see the miracles happen when we totally trust and rely on God. Second thing, support workers who reach the unreached. 
see, there's a lot of people on the ground, like as, again, as, uh, uh, as Pastor Glenn just showed, there's people already in Turkey that speak Turkish, that speak Arabic to reach Syrians. They're already there. We could support them in, and they can do things that we can't do. So it's supporting the workers that you send out from here. It's supporting the workers that are there. Um, and even here in the States, there are people that are reaching unreached. But the idea behind all of this is let's support people that are reaching out to others. Now, with that three billion unreached, um, just statistically, 0.98, that is less than 1% of Christian giving to Christian ministries goes to reach the unreached. We don't have a stat on Christian giving to non-Christian causes. Uh, but we do have a stat on Christian giving to Christian causes because Christian ministries will disclose that. So three billion people, less than 1%, less than, uh, less than 1% of all Christian giving goes to reach three billion people. This is why we say, and I'm so thankful for your generosity and what you're doing here. I just wanna say, way to go. I have a front row seat in many times to see what you're doing and what you're giving to and how it's making a difference throughout the nations. So thank you so much. What if more were able to do this? So that's the second one as I always go, if somebody's reaching the unreached, I wanna help them do it because it's not a popular thing. Not a lot of big crowds are coming and yet that's what's changing the world. And then... I want to spend most of the remainder of my time on this one of what we can do. It's the third one. I like to say it this way. <clears throat> Activate adventure in following Christ. There's probably a briefer way to say this, like go or something. <laughs> but I just, uh, my personality, I want to push the red button. I want to take that big lever on the wall and I want to activate something. I want to, I want to do something that says, all right, I'm all in. Years ago, uh, I didn't grow up in church. And years ago, there was a time when I heard about the love of Jesus and somebody said that you could be born again. And I knew very little, but I knew that you could be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I remember that I, I said, this was my prayer. I said, okay, God, let's go for it. I don't know that that's in any gospel literature on how to do this, <laughs> but that was my prayer. And ever since then, my life's been changed. That's how I started. So whether this is you activating to get started or you that you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but you're going, no, I need to activate. I need to step up. I want the adventure. And that's what I really want to talk about is as followers of Jesus, how can we be led and empowered by God's spirit towards the unreached, towards the three billion but let's be honest, also just about the people in our daily life that God loves and wants us to reach as well. So how can we activate that? I like to say it this way, that we'd be led and following Jesus over our head and out of our league. Because when you follow Jesus, that's where you're gonna end up going. <laughs> so I was thinking about uh, Philip in Acts chapter eight. Philip in Acts chapter eight, Philip, first of all, is um, you're going to find that Philip is not a pastor, not an apostle. Um, it reminds me of something, and that is that there is no, 
There's no pastors only edition of the Bible. (laughs) Did you know that? We all have the same edition of the Bible. And Philip, as a guy that was waiting on tables and serving widows at the church in Acts chapter 6, there's a persecution that rises up. And so he has to flee Jerusalem, the city that he's in. And he goes to Samaria, not where he would necessarily want to go. But that's where he goes. And when he goes, he preaches Christ. Message here to start with. Sometimes as we say, oh, just wherever the Holy Spirit's leading you is actually realized at times by how in the world did I get here? And I didn't even want to be here. (laughs) But I'm here. So let's do something, God. Let's make the most out of this. And that's what Philip did. He got pushed out of a comfortable place and he got put someplace that he didn't even want to be. But guess what? He just said, all right, this is my, I mean, I don't think he said, all right, this is my adventure, but he did go for it. And he said, and he just started preaching Christ. He started praying for sick people. And in Samaria, that place that Jesus talked about so much, parables like the Good Samaritan and others, it said there was a revival in the city. Acts 8.8 says there was great joy in the city. Multitudes came. So many people's lives were touched. And then it said that an angel came to him and told him to go out in the desert. I don't know what's going through his mind at this point, but he's thinking, but there's all these thousands of people around and we're really enjoying this. But the Lord of the harvest said, I got a ripe field. You need to go out in the desert. So he obeys. He goes out in the desert. And out in the desert, there was just one chariot going by. Happened to be an Ethiopian eunuch that was in Jerusalem to worship, but he was going back to Ethiopia. And the Holy Spirit said, go up to the chariot. And it says he runs up to the chariot. There's a culture barrier here. There's a socioeconomic barrier, obviously, here. There's a lot of barriers, but he runs up. He sees that this Ethiopian has the the, uh, scriptures open. And he says, though, to him, do you you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I unless somebody explains this to me? By the way, so many great encounters in chariots, which I call chariots, I think of as like Ubers, taxis, or wherever you might encounter people. Those are our modern day chariots. So many encounters start with good questions, by the way. Do you understand what you're reading? And that leads to him receiving Christ, getting baptized, and Ethiopia, from that encounter, he goes back and the whole nation transforms and becomes what they call a Christian nation. Ethiopia traces its ancient lineage as a Christian nation back to that. So now imagine this. That encounter with one person, a divine encounter we call it, changes the face of a nation. If God did it through him, not a pastor, not an apostle, imagine what he could do through any of us. Just by obeying God, just by listening to the Spirit, be in the right place at the right time and asking a question. When I think about the unreached, and again, unreached people on the map, but also the people just around your life right here in town or wherever God leads you, because isn't that what it's about? Imagine what could happen. That's the adventure. 
By the way, uh, just I, I do have a whole session on um, on um, chip, tips on getting into chariots, uh, especially on how to talk to Uber drivers. It's one of the greatest places to to encounter and share the gospel. I love it. Um, and uh, by the way, one of my favorite Uber drives recently. Um, it was going really well, and we're talking. A lot of times we end up praying. A lot of Uber drivers, not all, but a lot of Uber drivers, they get this job because they want to talk to somebody. A lot of Uber drivers, maybe they weren't uh, born in America, although I never say that. I don't go, what country are you from? Because then they go, I'm from Butte, or <laughs> something like that. So like, don't do that. <clears throat> but I would say like, you know, it's like, even if they have a really hard accent, I don't say that. But like, but like oh, were you raised around here? And then that's when they go, oh, no, no, no. And it just opens up the door. I validate where they're from. If they're from another country, I might say, hey, I'm just glad you're here. You're welcome here. Second most frequent commandment in the Bible, by the way, in the Old Testament is to welcome the stranger. So just welcome them. Glad you're here. But um, not too long ago, it was, um, we're driving around and we're just talking. And you end up talking about family and talking about faith, talking about Jesus. And, and the driver says, um, hey, um, get to, we get to the drop-off spot. And the driver says, hey, um, would it be okay if we drove around a little longer? <laughs> That's what I mean when I say just activate your adventure. <clears throat> so a couple more thoughts on this. Um, I, was doing a, um, uh, I was doing a research, or research product, uh, project on some data from a very famous professor um, I'm not really academic material, so they gave me a real easy, easy research project. Um, and I was analyzing data. The data was this. All of these people from other religious groups in the unreached, in that red zone that you saw, people that had received Jesus, they, and they'd fill out a survey, or the person that led them to Jesus would fill out a survey about a few questions about what were the, what were the characteristics or the attributes? What were the things that led them to Jesus? Fascinating stuff. Hundreds and hundreds of surveys I got to go through. I'm looking through this and seeing all these different things, dreams and visions, exciting things, but there was one word that was on all of them. One word that was on every one of the hundreds and hundreds of surveys. You ready for it? You want to know what it was? It was love. Every one of them had the love of God as seen in the scriptures, that God actually loves us, and Others had love as expressed by a follower of Jesus. Like, why would they love me? They didn't have to. They're from some other group, but they reached out and loved me anyway. This is in your Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. If anything I've said today kind of intimidates you, like, whoa, I activate the adventure, but this is a little scary. Love never fails. Just let the love of God well up in your heart. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Be aware of people from unreached groups. There aren't always a lot around here in Billings, but you never know. That's what I always say is you never know and you never know what one divine encounter might do. So when we first moved to California, 
We go to, my wife goes to Vaughn's, which is like Safeway. You know, it's like the grocery store of California. But she'd go over to the rich neighborhood because it was like just nicer there and to go grocery shopping. <clears throat> so she comes out of Vaughn's and, and go into the minivan and all of a sudden this big white Cadillac Eldorado, which I think some of you know what it is, right? Like a big white Cadillac Eldorado with those eight foot long doors <laughs> on those things pulls in next to our van and the door just flies open and goes bam right into the side of our van. And there's an elderly gentleman at the wheel and uh, he's just so embarrassed. He's got his head down like this and he's just so embarrassed and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And my wife Dawn, she goes over there and she's like got her thumbnail scraping white paint off the side of our van. Of our van. And then she looks over at him. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. And she goes, you know what? It's okay, don't worry about it. You can't take this stuff with you. And he looks at her and he goes, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> I've always loved the story because I thought, shouldn't every one of us hear somebody say that to us every once in a while? You're not from around here, are you? Why would you love those people? Why would you forgive those people? What is it with you that you have peace in your heart right now? What is it that you have hope? It's just the love of God. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.